Good morning, everybody. We are going to be in our final, our fourth week of the Death of Joy. And if you missed any of the previous three weeks, they are online at livingstones.cc. There's a message tab you can click on and you can hear the messages there. Last week, we talked about how to hang on to a spirit of joy, even if it feels like the whole world around you is falling apart which I confess up front is a very difficult task to feel like your life has experienced a major shipwreck and there you are treading water about to go under and sharks start to circle around. How in the world in the midst of that do you hang on to a spirit of joy? And I recognize even this morning several of you have walked into this room and you have had quite the week. In fact, a week in which you completely understand what it's like to try to hang on to a spirit of joy in the midst of severe trials and situations. And so when we read from James chapter 1 verse 2, to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, like that's not a huge leap for you in terms of life experience. You are in it right now. And what I've discovered is we have a lot of grace for people who are going through severe trials, don't we? Like we tend to begin, when we hear people's stories about their pain or their suffering, what typically happens is we enter right into the midst of their difficulties and we immediately become sympathetic and full of grace and patience for what they're walking through. In fact, teachers know this more than anyone else, don't they? Like that one kid in the class who's always a problem always disruptive, always, there's always some situation around them. And then you hear about their story and about their upbringing and their background and the things that they've had to walk through, and immediately you're just full of grace. In fact, they become your favorite kid in the class. Like you protect them and defend them against everybody else. You might experience that with a coworker who initially might just seem a tad bit snippy all the time, They kind of have that snarky edge to them, and they tend to always live in the cynical and the negative And then you hear their story and what they've walked through and all the pain and all the suffering and all the trials. And immediately you're able to endure a whole lot more because you find a new level of grace and understanding for somebody else. Yet if I might begin where I started in terms of my very first week, I kind of said, hey, listen, I feel like, like this series has been very personal to me in that there's just sort of a moment where you go, I think I feel like I'm walking and not experiencing the joy that Jesus intends for my life. Why have I lost my joy? What does it feel like a death of joy? And it'd be one thing if I could say to you this morning, oh, it's because of all the trials that I'm going through and all the pain and all the suffering. The truth of the matter is, I mean, I've gone through those in my life, but I can't really point to any of those right now that might be the cause of any particular death of joy. And in the end, what happens is you begin to think to yourself, what if the loss of joy isn't because of some major trial in life, but rather because you're just a jerk? <laughs> like, like, what happens if you get that revelation? What if you boil it all down and just simply conclude, no, I think I'm just pretty much a negative person and somewhere along the way have lost my joy. Now, those stories we're not nearly as sympathetic with, are we? Like, if you hear somebody's story and you go, No, you're just a jerk. Like, we don't have near the same level of grace and patience for that. We don't enter into sympathy for that. And so, if I might, let me talk to whoever amongst you, and I know this isn't everybody. Some of you are just like a ray of sunshine all the time. But for the rest of you that are not, maybe a little bit more cantankerous, grumpy people like myself who struggle living in joy, let me share with you what I have seen in my own life firsthand and experienced, and also what I see sometimes in pastoral ministry, and then I want to talk about what I want to do out of it. So let, let me begin confessionally. Can I do that? Let me, let me talk about, this could be for me a possibility of a typical morning in the life of Sam. Can I share this with you? Like, 
don't judge me then, okay, Dan, just, just listen to me, and I, I have a solution to this, I think. But let me describe to you what might be a possible morning for me any given day. The alarm goes off at 5.30 a.m., and I am immediately irritated by the sound of it, right? That obnoxious, like, and they even have different ones you could program, but they're all obnoxious because they're waking you up at 5.30 in the morning. And then what happens is my mind can very quickly reflect on how tired and exhausted I am and how I don't feel like getting out of bed. And then I might even recall some part of the night that I just didn't sleep very well. Like even today, I'll complain that I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning and just never really went back to sleep, which is not abnormal for me on Saturday nights before a Sunday. But that's what's going through my head at 5.30 in the morning. But then I know if I don't wake up, and go to the gym. I'm going to feel guilty about that later in the day. So I finally get my butt out of bed. And then I'm groggily making my way around the room to get ready. And I have to do so in the dark because everyone else is still asleep. And I open up my dresser drawer to put on some running shorts. And they're not there. And I'm immediately agitated that I don't have clean running shorts in my dresser drawer. But then I see the laundry basket barely out of the glow of my cell phone flashlight on the floor of clean clothes, and I think, ah, oh, they're probably in there. So as I'm still with just a little cell phone light trying to find a clean pair of running shorts, I'm getting ready. I finally get my stuff ready, and I go downstairs to fill up my water bottle, and I realize I forgot to fill the Brita water filter the night before, and now I have to use tap water. And then, not this weekend, but it has been cold and chilly in the morning. I walk outside and it's cold out and barely frost and I'm irritated by that. And then I drive to the gym and when I pull in, the parking lot is full. And I know what that means. The gym's crowded. And that irritates me. Because I recognize the treadmill that I probably want to be on isn't even available. So I walk in and sure enough, everybody's on treadmills and I'm irritated by that. Finally, one becomes available, and I take it, but realize that the person in front of me, before me, forgot to wipe it down with disinfectant, and I have OCD, so this is an issue. <laughs> but I start running, and as I'm running, all of a sudden, my side hurts, I'm thinking about that. My knee hurts, I'm thinking about that. My ankle keeps popping. Why does it pop all the time? I'm thinking about that. I think the guy next to me ripped one, and now I feel like I'm dying because of that. <laughs> I finally get done. I'm trying to find a disinfectant bottle, but they're scarce, so I have to find and hunt one of those down. And then I go to the other side of the gym, which is the weight room. I get into the weight room area, and there's a group of power lifters by the bench press, and they're going to take five hours there, and that's obnoxious to me. By the time I finally do find a bench, I notice that the little pegs on the bench where you stack the weights, somebody stacked fives and tens and twenty-fives and thirty-fives all on the same peg and not where they're supposed to go and that flares my OCD up once again because it's ridiculous and you got the guy who's talking so loud on a cell phone and that guy who's grunting and he's only lifting 45 pounds but he sounds like he's got the weight of the world on him I'm finally finished I'm walking out of the gym and I go my normal route and I remember that there's a detour because fellows is closed so i got to do a U-turn and go out to US 31 at 7 a.m. and probably will get sideswiped by a semi and I'll die this very morning and I'm irritated by that. I get home and realize that I forgot to boil the eggs the night before, so I have to do that. That irritates me. And then my kids decide, hey, let's take a 45-minute shower, each one of us, that morning. And so the hot water's probably gone. And then the shirt I want to wear is all wrinkled. And I don't feel like ironing right now. And it's only been an hour and a half of my day. You get it? Like, I could go on for 12 hours or more, but let me just stop here. Do you, do you see what's happening? 
there's no sympathetic story. You're just going, dude, you're a jerk. Like that's, <laughs> I've been up for not even two hours and I've found a way to be agitated and irritated and complain at every turn. Now, I might be exaggerating just slightly for effect. Not quite to Brian Williams' levels, but just slightly exaggerated. <laughs> and in the end, when I really think about it, like I'm worried about being infected by some bug at the gym that they didn't disinfect on the machine. But the infection that has gone into my heart and my spirit, talk about infection. And you can catch it. It's highly contagious. In fact, I've seen it just completely change people's personalities and dispositions and attitudes. And it's the infection, if I had to give it a name, of it's just a spirit of discontent. It's a spirit of discontent, and it's infectious, and it can take over everything. It's when your heart and your mind and your spirit completely forget about the blessings that really are all around you. It's this sense of not being grateful that I actually woke up today and 300,000 people on this planet did not wake up today who woke up the day before. I'm only irritated that it's 5.30 in the morning. No sense of contentment that I actually have a dresser drawer in my bedroom let alone that it's full of more clothes than most people who populate the face of the earth. I'm actually irritated that I have to dig it out of the laundry basket. Oh, that what? Came from your washing machine that cleaned it for you with just a couple buttons that you pushed, unlike the rest of the world. No sense of gratitude and contentment that, really, you have clean water, but you're irritated it came out of the tap. You're irritated that you didn't fill the Brita filter the night before. Or when I go out and I'm complaining because it's cold, what I'm not seeing is you have three cars in your driveway, all three of which are completely capable of taking you anywhere that you want to go, unlike the rest of the world who does not have such a luxury. No sense of thanks that I'm an able-bodied person enough to get on and run on a treadmill, but irritated that one might not be available to me the moment I'd like it to be convenient. Where does that come from? That comes from being infected with a spirit of discontent. And it's vicious, and it's demonic, and the consequence of it is it kills joy. I want you for a moment, just think about your own life and consider that spirit of discontent and maybe the areas in which it may have infected you. And sometimes we find, or you don't have to be there forever, but sometimes you find yourself just so discontent with your present job or your relationships or your finances or your life situation. In fact, you know, we live in a culture that's even trying to get us to be discontent with everything that we have. In fact, true marketing, like the end goal of marketing, is to make you unhappy with what you have, and thus you need to buy what it is that they're selling. That's what marketing really is all about, and it's so effective. Like, I've recognized it in my own life. Like, when I watch commercials and infomercials, I think, well, how can I live without that? Like, I didn't even need a George Foreman girl, but now that I've watched this 30-minute infomercial, I don't know how my life will be complete without one, right? Have you ever heard of the salad shooter? Have you heard of that? Put a carrot in there, a cucumber in there, like it just shoots it right on your salad. How can I possibly be expected to go back to knives and a cutting board when there's a salad shooter that's available to me? And paper towels, let's talk about that for a moment. Like if you spill a bunch of milk or something like that, they make a sham wow. How can I use regular paper towels when that thing is so absorbent? Have you watched it? Right? That's what, it, that's what 
So marketing sells people. They want you to be discontent with what you have, and so you need more. In fact, um, when Kelly and I first got married early on, I had a Ford Tempo, which is a whole story in itself, and I needed a new car. So we went to the Honda dealership, and the salesperson wanted to sell us a Honda Accord, which I'm all for that. And so we drove a four-cylinder and totally content. But he kept pushing, well, you need to drive the six-cylinder. I'm all right. No, just, just, just take it out for a drive, and then that'd be all right. All right, fine. Well, I came back and thought, who can live with a four-cylinder when they make a six-cylinder Honda Accord? And so that's what we walked out with. <laughs> and discontent starts so early now, doesn't it? Like, just think about how discontent kids are with their own age, right? I can't wait till I'm 12. And then I can't wait till I'm 16. And then I can't wait till I'm 18. I can't wait till I'm 21. I can't wait till I'm 25. And then what happens is you get to 40 and it goes backwards. You're 40 and you're like, I wish I was 25. <laughs> Discontent with our life station. If I could just drive, and then if it's, I could just be out of the house for my parents and independent, and then if it's, I could just get into college and if I could just graduate, if I could just get a job, if I could just get a different job, if I could just get a promotion. If I could just retire. Like, it just never ends. Like, it's just one thing after the other. And so we become discontent with everything. You look at your house. Oh, it just seems so old. It's too small. Doesn't have central air. Doesn't have enough closet space. So just for a moment, just think about all the areas of your life that you could be discontent in, from your appearance to marriage to friendships to church to job. And it is a spirit that, man, when it overcomes you, man, it affects the heart and mind. And it kills joy. And I know lots of things could feed into that spirit of discontent. It's like fear is a big one. Like whatever you're afraid of in life, whatever you find the most anxiety out of, like whatever the thing that this is the most frightening thing to me in life, whether it's being alone, maybe being financially insecure, maybe not being accepted by other people, losing a family member or a relationship, like that will often be an area that will fuel that spirit of discontent. Or, or maybe it might be an area of pride in your life that you recognize, and pride's hard to detect, but if you recognize, I think I'm better than this. And I think I deserve more than this. Like it just fuels that spirit of discontent. You think you've been owed something and you deserve something, but you're not getting it. Discontent is always right there. And then right there in the middle of the Word of God, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, will say this about his own life and his own circumstances, which I don't know if you know about the life of Apostle Paul, but man, he goes through everything. But he'll say this in Philippians 4 verse 11. Listen, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through Him who gives me strength. Right? Isn't that amazing? Like that's, that's the antidote. Learning how to be content all things, in all situations, in all circumstances. See, when you live in that, it takes stock of the blessings that really are all around you that the spirit of discontent doesn't allow you to see. It comes with an awareness of what we really do have, especially, not that it's good to compare, but especially in light of the rest of the world. Like, really? You're going to complain about running out of hot water? You mean clean water? in that 50-gallon tank in your basement that in 20 minutes' time is going to be full again of hot water for your house that has two and a half bathrooms, really, you're going to complain about that? And so out of it, you just kind of come out with this sense of, I think I need the Spirit of God to fill me 
with nothing more than just eyes open to the awareness of all of the blessings that God has given me. To let me see more clearly my state in which I truly live in and circumstances and how truly blessed I am. And I need that spirit then to kind of give me a warning in my own spirit every time that my heart or my thinking begins to move towards that demonic spirit of discontent that tries to infect me with the idea that somehow I'm a victim in anything. Now, it doesn't stop at a spirit of discontent. Let me tell you what happens. As soon as that spirit of discontent takes over your heart and your mind, it starts at a spirit, just a spirit of discontent, but how it manifests itself is in an attitude of negativity. Right? And maybe you've been around, maybe you've experienced this, where, man, they're just negative. Like, it is an attitude of negativity all the time. It starts from a spirit of discontent, but what happens is it sets in as an attitude. An attitude is established by repetitive thinking and feelings and assumptions, and it results in a habitual and permanent disposition. Do you know people with that disposition, a negative disposition? Like, they leave the room like, oh, I just felt lighter already. The spirit of discontentment leads to an attitude of negativity, and it's through that filter by which you view then everything in life. That's how you could grow up. That's how you could wake up in the morning and be so grumpy for the first two hours, and really there's nothing to be grumpy about. And, and it manifests different for other people, but when you have an attitude of, of negativity, things like this happen. One would just be a lot of self-defeating talk. Like people with negative attitudes are always like, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not this. I'm such a failure. I'm not going to, like, there's just always a lot of self-defeating talk. Other people, they just, they have negative assumptions. You presume the negative in everything. Like you see two of your friends talking, and you just immediately think it's about you, right? talking about me. Like, where does that come from? That comes from that negative attitude. You're like the Eeyore of the group, right? You're just like, negative comparisons to other people, or sometimes it comes out of a negative, like truly a terrible thing that's happened in your past, but you don't let it go. You keep playing it in your mind over and over and over, and you start to, you start to transfer that to other people. Well, they'll probably treat me the same way. I was probably going to do the same thing as I did there. Disempowering beliefs about difficult people, it casts you always as the victim, and they're the perpetrators of everything the desire to blame, the inability to forgive yourself or others, or sometimes just that perfectionism, like it's just that fear of failure or making mistakes. So what happens is, you know, most negative people, this is what's interesting to me, don't realize they're negative. Like negative people have a hard time seeing you're negative like all the time. And they gravitate towards other negative people. And sometimes an entire friendship group can take on this corporate personality of nothing but negativity. I've seen it happen in churches too all the time. The church as a whole, sometimes it's just a small group or a particular friendship circle within the church. So how do we cut the negative out of our life? And I've seen like one person change the tone of an entire meeting or friendship group just because of their negative attitude. Now, finally, here's what happens. Here's the continuum. It starts with the spirit of discontent. It moves to an attitude of negativity, but it ends up manifesting in a particular behavior. And the particular behavior is one of complaint. Okay? Spirit of discontent leads to an attitude of negativity which manifests itself in behavior as complaint. People with a discontent spirit and a negative attitude complain about everything. Complain about their kids, their spouse, their job, their boss, their friends, their particular situation. Complain, complain, complain. Well, how are you? (laughs) My mother-in-law came into town this week and there's a whole story of complaint right out of it, right? Right now, I'm complaining about complaining. Isn't that ironic? And these things are lethal to joy. In fact, the Bible has a word for this complaining. It's called grumble. Have you ever heard that word? 
to grumble, grumbling. That's the word the Bible uses over and over again. And if you just go and study that word throughout the Bible, and listen, you need to hear this. God loves you. Like even you negative people, God loves you. He's crazy in love with you. But he didn't like grumbling. <laughs> like that irritates our God. Can I share a couple stories with you? Like, the, like this whole behavior of complaining is not like God's yeah list. It doesn't, doesn't make it. It kind of ticks them off. Now, quick backstory: The people of God, the Israelites, they complain all the time and about everything. In fact, they just get rescued by God from slavery in Egypt. And you know what they immediately start doing? Complaining about everything. Exodus chapter 15. They just got rescued and now they're complaining because we're thirsty, right? And so what does God do? Provides them water. But not content with that, the next chapter, Exodus 16, they start grumbling because they're hungry. In fact, they're like, we should just go back to Egypt. At least there we had cucumbers and onions and leeks, which I'm thinking, ugh. But anyhow, they're, they're just complaining. And so you know what God does in the midst of their grumbling? Gives them food. But that doesn't help them because in Exodus 17, they're thirsty again. They want more water. And so they start grumbling about that. And by the time you get over to Numbers chapter 11, like they're just grumbling about everything, all of their hardships. Listen to this. Numbers 11, verse 1 and 2. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord which I don't know how this works. If you can complain without God hearing it, good luck. And when he heard from them, his anger was aroused. And then fire from the Lord burned among, burned among them and consumed them of the outskirts of the camp. And when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down, right? So how does God feel about grumbling? <laughs> and don't you at times wish you could do this, Right? Like, send fire down from heaven? Like, if you walk out, that sermon was terrible. <laughs> right? That's like. <laughs> Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, they grumbled because the food that God gave them, manna, they're sick of it. Manna, manna, manna. Manna stew, manna crew, right? And they just complain about it. <laughs> Numbers chapter 12, Aaron and Miriam start complaining and grumbling against Moses because they, well, it makes them such a hot shot. And they don't like the wife that he married. Numbers 14, remember they sent off 12 spies to spout the land? Ten of them come back and say, they're giants over there. There's no way we could take that land. And then the people grumble against Moses and Aaron. Number 16, it's an entire chapter devoted to the people of God grumbling about everything. And then three guys among the Israelites named Korah, Dathan, and Abiram grumbled against Moses and started an actual uprising. And you know what God did in response? You know what he did? He opened the earth, swallowed them alive, closed it up, dead what happened, right? Would you remember that earthquake yesterday? I got a little nervous because of my... <laughs> Listen to what it says. And then, after that incident, you know what the people did? They grumbled about that. They grumbled that Moses killed them. So here's what it says, number 16, verse 41. This is, the next day the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You have killed the Lord's people, they said. But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned towards the tent of meeting, which is where God dwells, suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Which this is a, uh oh. <laughs> then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting and the Lord said to, listen to what God says, says to Moses, get away from this assembly so I could put an end to them at once. Now he's ready to kill them all. And they fell face down. And then Moses said to his brother Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it along with burning coals from the altar and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. 
So Aaron did as Moses said and ran to the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died from the plague, in addition to those who had died because of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting, for the plague had stopped. Now, what can we, what can we learn from this? <laughs> Don't grumble. It takes God off. See, when I go back to my own life, sort of the death of joy, I got, no, I didn't lose my joy because of trials of all kinds. My world at the moment isn't falling apart. I'm not in the midst of suffering and pain. No, I, I think I've just been infected by a spirit of discontent, and it has given way to a negative attitude at times, and that manifests itself into complaining. And I want my joy back. And I want to invite you, if you've lost your joy, to reclaim it and receive it as well. And really not just for our sakes, which in itself would be rationale for, right? Like that Jesus says, I've come to give you life, and not just any life, but abundant life. Well, that has to affect joy, doesn't it? Like to have abundant life in Christ would have to mean, no, no, I get to live in a spirit of joy. And, but not only for our sake, but really for the sake of Jesus. Because we want people to see our lives and for the, to reflect the life of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus who was not discontent. And Jesus did not walk around with a negative attitude, and he didn't complain all the time. So we want our people to be drawn to our own spirit and lives because it reflects Jesus's. And listen, in our day and age, the greatest apologetic is not in the realm of truth claims, like is Christianity true or not true. And I don't care whether you like that or not, or whether you think that's okay or not, or whether that should be like that. I'm just telling you it is. We live in a postmodern culture who subjectively weighs truth claims by all sorts of means, and we don't yield to anyone as the ultimate say in what is true. The apologetic of today is whether it is good. The question for many in regards to Christianity, and their primary question is not whether it is true or not, but whether it is good or not. And your life is the basis of their estimation. And if we do not reflect the goodness of God, that spirit of joy, they want nothing to do with us, and more oftentimes, God. Your life is the greatest walking apologetic for the reality that we're living in and after the resurrected Lord Jesus. And so I want to live my life in such a matter, manner with such a spirit of joy that people are naturally attracted to and long to know what it is that I have so I can point them then to Jesus. So I'm going to work backwards, and I'm going after the behavior of complaint. Okay, let's just go back to, I'm going to start with the behavior of complaining all the time because I'm hoping if I can go after this behavior, it will begin then to lift the attitude of negativity and ultimately cast out a spirit of discontent. In fact, I'd like to teach you a Bible verse this morning. Like we can all memorize this together right here and right now because it's, it's very small. And I promise you, like, forget about learning the entire, all the letters of Paul. Like if you could just live out this one verse, it'll change everything. If you could just live out this one little verse, it will change everything in your life. It will be revolutionary. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. This is what it says here. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Isn't that amazing? Like, come on now. If we were to really live by this one little verse, doesn't that change everything? Isn't it revolutionary in your workplace, in your home, everything? In every, do everything without grumbling or or argue. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Okay, everyone, let's repeat it together. Can we say it together? Just one time together. One, two, three. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. 
kids, listen to me. When your mom tells you to do the dishes or to clean your room, how will you do that? Without grumbling or arguing. Or listen to me, when you're at work and your boss gives you the worst assignment and task, how is that going to happen? Without grumbling or arguing. Husbands, when your wives send you to the store to pick up some more milk (laughs) or some other product you don't want to touch, what will that look like? You'll do it what? Without grumbling or arguing. See, when you're ticked off with a friend who you feel has slighted you, what will you not do? I will not grumble and I will not argue. So let me tell you what I'm going to do this week because I need to in my life. So I have got myself here what I'm calling the complaint jar. And listen, I'm inviting you into this too because I need my joy back. You might as well. So for, I want to encourage you. What I'm gonna, it's a one-week no-complaining challenge. You with me? I'm going to do it. In fact, I've already gone to the bank to get a roll of quarters because... Elections are on Tuesday, and it could be a rough day, so I'm already right, so I might need more, but I'm starting with this. So here's what I got my jar. I'm calling it my, my, my complaint jar, and every time I complain, I have to put a quarter in the jar. So with this roll of quarters, see, my kids are all excited about this, right? I can't wait to catch dad. Quarter, quarter, quarter. So I'm challenging the rest of my family. They're going to do it as well, but if I complain, they get to call me out and say, Dad just complained. You were just negative. The whole staff here at Livingstone's Church, I've said, if I'm negative, complain. You go like, tomorrow will be the shortest staff meeting we've ever had. <laughs> but if I'm negative or I complain, what do I have to do? Just put a quarter in the jar, right? And I would encourage you to do the same thing. It could be a can. I don't care. It's a bucket. I don't care what you need. So you're thinking, I need like a big 50-gallon bag is what I'm going to like. Whatever you need, it's the Livingstone's Church No Complaining Challenge. Now, here's what I'd say. After church, Get all of your complaining and negativity out that you need to. Find your jar and can. And then when you wake up tomorrow, we'll start, okay? Can we, say, can we just say that? Give you a heads up there. No complaining about anything, anywhere. Friends, coworkers, family, Facebook. Come on now, Facebook. I don't care if a city in America is rioting and you want to go off on it. We will not this week because we're taking the one-week no complaining challenge. If you slip... Put a quarter in the, bar, the jar, bucket, can, container. And then next Sunday, bring your jars to church. I'm not kidding. Like, some of you might need help. We'll help you get it out of your car if you need. It's not heavy. And then we're going to pass the buckets around and collect the quarters. And we're going to give it to the Ronald McDonald House. Because If there is anyone who has a right to complain, it's those poor sick children and their families. And so we're at least going to help them out with our screw-ups. Now listen, this is not a special collection. Don't, don't come with a big check. This is not an extra offering. This is not a above and beyond your normal generosity. I just know really out of the overflow of our complaints this week, we'll, we're going to send that off to the Ronald McDonald. So if it's just 50 bucks, it's just 50 bucks. Praise God, but that's what we're going to do. We're going after the behavior and hoping in it that the taking away the behavior helps to modify the attitude. And when the attitude of negativity is gone, it won't leave a hospitable space than for a discontent spirit. We'll just kick the devil right out and ask Jesus to fill it back up with joy. We're committed to living a life of joy and making an impact, even if it's a small one, on our particular corner of the world. Listen, I probably will not affect the entire planet. 
And you might not ever affect the entire planet, but we all have a certain small space of the world that we could have a huge impact on. And that's what we want to do and infect it with joy. So take a look at this video of a guy who's just a small part of his world and what he's able to do in terms of just providing joy and happiness to his little part of the world. Johnny Barnes. I'm just a little small instrument in the hand of God to be used any way he feels fit. What I do every day, two o'clock in the morning, I'm getting my breakfast. You're still sleeping, I guess. <laughs> From 20 to 4 until 10, I stand on the corner and just greet people, let them know that life is sweet, life is beautiful. No matter what happens in life, it's always sweet to be alive. Enjoy the sunshine, the flowers, the birds. They're happy. The good Lord and I just try to make people happy. I used to work in the railway. The railway came right through there, you know. Before they made that a highway, there used to be a wall. I used to sit on the wall in my lunch hour and just shout out to people. I love you. Have a good day. You know? It started way back there when I was on the railway, electrician on the railway. And um, I enjoy it. I enjoy making people happy. Hey, David! I lived in London for a long time and um, elderly men standing at the side of the road and you stop and I expected for him to ask us for money. That was my initial reaction. A lot of people couldn't understand why he would do what he's doing. I mean, why would a person go out there in the middle of the night, in the rain, the thunder, the lightning, he's there with rain suit or umbrella, whatever he has to do to stand there. A lot of people couldn't figure that out. Why would he do that? Um, and, and they don't really understand where he's coming from. He's coming from that angle of brotherly love. And that's what he's doing there every single day. Brotherly love to anybody who comes past. I think he likes me because I feel like he always knows when I'm coming because he has a whole 360 to cover and it's like three different directions. And he manages to always say, I love you to me, even if I'm going in town, coming out of town, going past. He always ends up finding my direction and just saying it to me. I love you, Bermuda is another world. Don't you know it's love divine? I've known that people come to work in the morning and like quarter past six, there's no Johnny Barnes. So 
They wouldn't, they wouldn't know why. They phoned the, the radio station and says, where's Johnny Bond, Johnny Bonds this morning? I mean, people expect him to be there Monday through Friday. And when he's not there, there's a panic. Like, where is he? Why isn't he there? He cares, and the rest of the people care about him when they don't see him. I was uh, nine months pregnant with my son. He was going to be delivered by C-section. We were driving to the hospital, and I did my normal wave to Johnny, and he didn't see me. And I got really nervous, because, you know, you're going to have your first baby. You want everything to be right. And so I made my husband drive around the roundabout until Johnny Barnes waved. Because to me, that felt like it was like a good omen <laughs> to go to the hospital. So on the second, uh, second turn around the roundabout, he saw me, he waved, and he told me he loved me. And, and then I said that we can go off to the hospital now, <laughs> ready to have my first son. There was a morning when I was traveling into the city. It was not a happy morning. And I could see in the distance Johnny Barnes, and I had made up my mind I was not going to look because I wanted to hold on to my unhappy moments. But I, I ended up looking at him, and sure enough, he forced me to smile and, and rem remember that I, I had a choice for my day to smile and be happy or carry this heavy weight of, of anger with me. And that's what he reminds me of every day that there's a choice in how we start our day. A man told me one time, he says, you know, Johnny says, I've been here, I've been here, I'm an ex-patriot, he says, I've been here for f three years, and you're the only person ever told me I love me. Smile on your face. Because I can't remember my mother telling me, telling me every day that she loves me. I knew she loved me, but she never, you know what I mean? Then I, I never got that home. You know? And that's what, the, that's what's wrong with the world today. If we learn to love one, there'll be no wars. We know killing, we know raping, we know fighting. Because we're loving one another. And that's what we, we human beings, got to learn how to love one another. One of the greatest joy can come to an individual is when you're doing something and helping others and see the, and see the reaction on the face. Why, good morning, Don. How are you? <laughs> come on, Don, come over. You, you know, I'm just waiting for you. Hi. <laughs> how, how you been? Good. You're such a great guy. Oh, I just love you, though. <laughs> I'll never stop loving you. <laughs> um, I've been here since December of 2007. I pass by him every morning, and I said, I've got to get a picture. So today was the day, and a kiss. <laughs> how you been? Good. Good. You always put a smile on my face. Oh, that's what I'm here for, darling. <laughs> when are you going to come back and see me? I'll be driving by tomorrow morning. Amen. <laughs> and you know I love them all. <laughs> I just love them. I put a lot of honey on them. <laughs> oh, they just love it. It's one thing men got to learn. Women need, need to be loved. Tell them you love them every day. Why, good morning, darling. How are you? I love you. <laughs> Thank you, darling. I will always love you. One day a lady says, Johnny, I wish my husband would like you. She says, I told my, told my husband, I said, you know, I see Johnny Barnes every day, five days a week. And every day he tells me he loves me. He says, the only time you, you tell me you love me is when you want to rob me. He tells me he loves me every day. <laughs> I said, Dom, be careful, be careful. <laughs> hey, hey. Nah. Nah. Hey. <laughs> I love, 
I thought at the time, and this wasn't long after he started, that maybe he wouldn't be appreciated uh, um, or given any um, recognition. And I thought, what a great subject matter for a sculpture. He said, you have inspired me. I think I'd like to make a statue of you. How you feel? Huh? That's all right. You want to do it? Okay. I think that everybody would wish that Johnny were there forever himself. And uh, I suppose the next best thing is to have a, a statue commemorating him. And so I'm, I'm happy about it and I'm thankful for it. Well, I hope that um, when he won't be with us anymore, that people will remember what he stood for. And, and, and how he touched their lives when they drive into town on their commute. And they hope that, that the memory of Johnny Barnes will somehow influence people to, to be a bit like him. You know, to, to, to not take everything, every little thing so serious, but to remember Johnny Barnes stood there and said, I love you, I love you. And then th that hopefully brings back some, some warmness to people's life and a smile on their face. He'll, he'll never leave, you know. Every single person on this island has him right here. And you can't... You can't say that he's gone, you know? I mean, they, you think about the number of statues that are here on this island, and growing up as a kid, there was just one. It was Sir George Summers when I was a little girl. And then the second one they built was Johnny Barnes, you know? And they, they knew that no matter what, you know, whether you're going through, through East Broadway at three o'clock in the afternoon, you still see that statue, you know? So he'll never be gone. Whether it's a statue or in your heart or in your mind, there'll always be Johnny Barnes. Some people in this world today don't realize that warriors don't pay. Plenty people in this world today don't realize that warriors don't pay. Resting their worries on top of your shoulder, bringing you older and older. These wicked things these people does do. They don't realize you've got worries too. So tell them never ever worry. Don't care how things looking hard. Yeah. Every time I see Johnny Barnes, I go, that's just like Chuck Barrington. That, he's just so full of joy. That's just a little demeanor. So. All right. Anyhow, don't forget this week, the no complaining challenge. Take just one week. Let's see if we can go without complaining. Get a, get a complaint jar. If you do, put a quarter in it. Bring it next Sunday. We'll collect it and help some people who need it. And then uh, just remember, we'll do every, do, we do everything without complaining or grumbling or arguing. Let's stand together. Let's invite the band to come back up here. We'll just pray. Ask God to fill us with the spirit of joy. Whatever part of the world you find yourself in this week, infect it with joy. God, we give you thanks for your grace and your mercy. We pray right now, we just kick the devil out of our lives, and if there's any demonic spirit of discontent that's leading to negativity or just complaining, we pray right now that it be gone in the name of Jesus. And it's a place we ask for your spirit to fill us up with joy, and that that joy would just be contagious in itself, and it bring glory and honor to the one who sits at your right hand, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.